Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. I had the privilege of having a Bible on my workbench at home last year. The Bible was over 150 years old, and it was a Russian Bible. I don't read or understand Russian, so fortunately they had numerals on the page. But as I took that Bible apart so I could put it back together again, I could remember the words of the missionary that asked me to do the job for him. And he says, this Bible outlasted Stalin. Someone who thought... They would get the end of these Christian folks, and here I had on my workbench. I didn't know the names of the Ivans and the Sarahs that had held those pages in their home with their curtains drawn and maybe whispering to their children because it was illegal to shout it out loud, but to have their Bible on my workbench, knowing that my God is faithful wherever we are. Aren't you glad he's faithful? Lord, we declare you the faithful one right now. We declare you, Lord, with our limited scope of ability and awareness that your word is forever settled. And so right now, as Pastor mentioned, we surrender to that word. Let that word consume us, mature us, grow us, even chastise us when necessary. For this, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. In Genesis chapter 29, Genesis chapter 29, we'll begin reading at verse number 30. Uh, This is a a story of a family. Uh, Every family has weird uncles, right? Weird cousins, weird aunts. If you don't know who the weird aunt, uncle, or cousin is in your family, you're it. And that's why you get invited to family functions, because they want to know that the weird person is not them, so they invite you and me to come to family functions. So in this chapter, we, we see the story of a family. You see, being chosen by God, that word chosen is such a special word, to be chosen for a team or to be chosen for a promotion, to be chosen to manage a crisis because they see capacity in you or Here at the end of this pro football season, three of the quarterbacks are at the top of their game and any one of the three could get most valuable player. But one of the quarterbacks, his name at the beginning of the year was Mr. Irrelevant because he was picked last. Everybody else was picked and then, well, we got one slot left. Eh. Come on, kind of like me in junior high gym class. Taller than everybody else, but I could not, could not uh, dribble a basketball and run at the same time. So Mr. Irrelevant was chosen, and now everybody is shocked that the one who was chosen last is now one of the four, four final quarterbacks in this season. When we think about being chosen, and this is the story of a chosen family, God doesn't pick superstars very often. Matter of fact, Saul one day went down with a cruise of oil to anoint the next king, so he looked at the superstars in Jesse's family, and ooh, that would guy, he would do great. I see great skills and ability in them, and God said, nah, he's all right, but I... Finally, the prophet had to ask the dad, Jesse, do you have any more boys? Because God says all of these look good. They look good. But on the inside, something's a little off. Well, I got one more, but man, he's just freckle-faced redhead. We can't find anything decent for him to do other than chase some sheep around. And he usually gets lost playing his guitar instead of taking care of the sheep. Well, bring him on what I got to lose. I came this far. And when teenager David stepped up, God spoke to the prophet and said, that's the one I want. See, God doesn't choose superstars. He chooses ordinary people. In this room right now, 
If you and I, for a few moments, were blessed with eyes of the Spirit, we would be astounded by what God has chosen in this room here today. So the stories that we read here are the stories of a chosen family, and you would anticipate if God picked this family, starts in Genesis 12, if God picked this family to do amazing things, then he's got to pick superstars. I mean, if you have no salary cap, and God has no salary cap. And if you get to choose first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, not just first, wait 20 whatever times and choose. If you get to do all the choosing you want, you will pick a superstar team, right? And then we read about this messed up family. When I get finished reading here, you won't feel so bad about your family. Verse 30, chapter 29, book of Genesis. And he went also unto Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served with his father-in-law seven more years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated compared to his sister, he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and calls his name Reuben. Now, when I think of Reuben, having lived in St. Louis for 20 years, I think of a very nice sandwich. called his name Reuben, but Reuben meant the Lord has seen my affliction. The Lord sees me. So every time Reuben was called, not thinking of Thousand Island dressing on corned beef on, what's the stuff? Sauerkraut, right? A little bit of sauerkraut and on rye bread. That's what I think of when you call Reuben. When this little boy Reuben was called, everybody said, ah, that's the little boy whose mama's not hated, is hated. That's the little boy whose mama is not loved. His name is Seen, and Leah called his name Reuben because God had seen her in trouble sometimes. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I was hated. First he saw I was hated. Something she did conveyed the feeling of emotion of being abandoned. But then she says, God heard that I was hated, has given me this son also. His name was come, called Simeon. Now for Simeon, I have no connection. Simeon is just a collection of vowels and consonants. That's all it means to me. But in that day when Simeon was called, that's the boy that's named Herd. Why is he named Herd? Because the only person that would hear his mama was God. Daddy can't hear. Husband won't hear. Sister doesn't want to hear. But God hears. Could you imagine holding Reuben on one knee? Only God sees me. And holding Simeon on the other knee, only God hears me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband, this is boy number three. Recently a book came out from uh, a prince. He named the book Spare. I was only born just in case... My older brother died. My mama wasn't loved. My mama was abandoned. I had no value except being the spare. And the nation of Britain is in turmoil and our paparazzi and their paparazzi repents everything he says because his view of himself is I'm just the extra one in case my brother died before he had a kid. Now, since he has three kids, there's not even need for a spare anymore. I'll leave the family business. Surely, son number three, my husband will be joined to me because I gave him three sons. So she named his named Levi. When I hear Levi, I either think of a pair of jeans born in the Northwest Or I think of a tribe of priests. 
But when Levi was crawling out of his mama's tent, his name was a mockery to him and to his mama. Because she said, I hope my husband will be joined with me. Come here, joined. Come here, Levi. And every time she said the word, it was a reminder, I am not joined to my husband. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise Yahweh. I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and she left off bearing. I'll call his name Praise. I've come here this morning to preach a little bit on my name is Judah. My name is Praise. But every time Judah's name was called, it was a reminder, I am praising God because I have four boys. The score is four to zero. I won four boys to zero boys. I won. I'm hated, but I won. When we think of Judah, we think of the tribe of praise. We think of the tribe that always got to go first. Remember the encampment around the tabernacle? In the middle was God's presence and the first tribe that would start off no matter when they were going, if it was simply relocation time because they were tired of eating manna there and the cloud went up and took them someplace else. Even if it was just a simple relocation, Judah went first. Name meant praise. They were going into battle. Who goes first? Praise goes into battle first. And eventually, Israel would find a place where God would put his name. The name of that city is Jerusalem, which is still with us in the world today. And Jerusalem, guess which tribe Jerusalem was found in? It was found in the tribe of praise. That's where God put his name. So when we think of praise, we think of the temple of God. We think of the place where God's presence was. But that first boy named praise said, my mama's proud of me only because my auntie has no sons. Praise meant something different for Judah in those days. And the, the list goes on and on. So Rachel sees that she's outscored for nothing. So she brings in uh, striker language. She brings in scabs. Okay, She brings in somebody to fill in when the first teams don't make it. So this is the called up squad. This is the since she can have no children she brings in her servant and says Go uh, spend the night with my husband. And the first son that's born, Bilhah, she doesn't get to name her own child. Rachel does. Rachel names her stepson. Scripture says that Dan got placed on her knee. That's language of adoption. So Rachel adopts, she steals. Dan grows up in a tent that's not his mama's. It grows up in one of the sister wives' tents because their score is now four to one. And his name is Daniel. I am judged. Rachel says, I have been vindicated by God. So when I think of Daniel, I know the name means God is my judge, but I don't remember that this came out of a family fight. And the one that was losing said, finally God's taking care of me. And then she tells Bill how you've had a son. You've been, uh, uh, you know, this child was born several months ago. Get back in there one more time. So the servant goes back in and Naphtali is born. And his name, how would you like this name? Struggle. Going in for a loan at the bank? Uh, put your name down. Struggle. I didn't hear you. <clears throat> I'm Mr. Struggle. What does that mean? It's a long story. I don't want to bore you with it. So if you need to, just put down S, period. We'll just go with the initial. Because my name means every day of my life I've been remembered. I was born in a fight between two sisters and a slave. 
And if you think that's bad, now my next brother, he comes along. Leah gets to have some more kids in the story. Actually, she does something else. She gets her servant involved. Zilpah, she's thrown into the game. And Gad is the child. And Leah gets to name Gad. It means what good fortune. At least his name isn't struggle. It's good fortune because now the score is five to two. And then Asher comes along. His name is Blessed. Wow, you have the name blessed. It reminds me, my dad, first church my parents started, there were some uh, recovering hippies in the congregation. Okay, I, I don't know if one ever uh, is an ex-hippie. These were recovering hippies. I mean, they even had the VW bus. Uh, the greatest thing I remember about the VW bus is the clock didn't work. So every time I would go with brother recovering hippie someplace, he would set the clock, he would calculate the next time he was getting in his VW bus and he would advance the clock by like six hours. So when he got in it the next time, it would be accurate. So recovering hippie. So when their child was born, they named their son, oh, happy day. When Jesus come, took my sins all away, oh, happy, happy, happy day. So you can imagine going in and getting your driver's permit What's your name? <laughs> Happy. What's your name? My name is I'm blessed. Well, I'm not really blessed. The lady that stole me from my mama, she felt like she was blessed because the score was six to two. And Leah, Leah one day, Reuben comes home carrying flowers. My, my mother was such a special lady, uh, put up with me as long as she could, and then the Lord said, that's enough, I'll take you home now. She, Mama was a special lady, but I can remember bringing dandelions to her from the yard, and my mother would get a vase, not a vase, but a vase, to put my dandelions in the vase. My dad grew up really poor, so dad's idea of buying flowers was that's a waste of money. They're already dead. And so I think mom got about two dozen flowers from dad over the course of their nearly 60 years of marriage. But I had dandelions to fill in the path, and then my brothers picked up dad's. Dad was a wonderful man, just did not understand the flower thing. Reuben comes home carrying some flowers, gives it to mama who doesn't smile. You can't smile when you're hated every day. You can't smile when calling your children are reminders. No one on this world wants you. You're only married because you were the oldest, and in that culture, oldest had to get married first. And since Laban wanted grandkids, you had to get married so that the golden daughter could get married. Not a smiling lady. Reuben comes in with the flowers, hoping that mom would smile. And Auntie Rachel sees the flowers and said, can I have his flowers? And Leah says, you've stolen my husband. Now you want my dandelions too? I'll make a deal. I'll buy my husband back for a night. And you can have the dandelions. So could you imagine your name is Iskar? Iskar, I have no connection to the name, but the name means, and you can read it later, it says you were, you were the product of my hiring. I treated your dad like, excuse me, a gigolo for a night. I had to buy the services of my own husband from my sister. So every time his name is called, he's reminded, I'm only here because my mama could buy the services of my daddy for one night. Zebulon means a gift or a dowry. Leah says, maybe now, maybe now that the score is four, five, six to two, 
Maybe now the score is six, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight to two. The score is now eight to two. Now maybe Jacob will honor me. I've been honored by God. God has gifted me. Maybe Jacob will gift me now too. And forget about it. Rachel has two sons, Joseph. Joseph's name. Joseph, the one with many colors, right? Joseph is a favored child. You know what his name means? His name means I'm looking for another son. Could you imagine going to kindergarten? What's your name? Another one's coming. I'm here to tell someone this morning that your name might have meant something yesterday to be one thing. But today, it's a brand new day. Mama might have meant your name to be Judah. Woohoo! I'm winning over my sister. But God can change your name to be Judah, meaning I have known that my God is worthy to be praised. You see, no matter what your yesterdays were like, doesn't matter whether your family was on the social registry as a wealthy founding family or your family. Might have been ones where you have to guess, guess who your daddy was. There have been some folks that have gone and taken that DNA testing, you know, the 23andMe, and they found out they weren't who they thought they were. And what they wanted to do to go find some family history and to think about it, they found out that the history, like, of themselves and their sister, why are they not full siblings as they thought they Maybe that's part of your story, but I need you to understand this morning that God has a name for you, and it's a precious name. It's, you are known by him, and he has, he's chosen you. <laughs> Jeremiah, the prophet, one day God says, I've got a job for you, Jeremiah. He says, you know, I'm from the bad branch of the Levi family. I'm not any good, and I'm too young. I can't pull it off. And God says, Jeremiah... I knew you before you were born. Could you for just a moment put all of your life, those great days and those not so great days, all in the master's hand and say, he has known me. He has known me. Pastor, there's some days when I think about God knowing me and my face flushes. The God of the universe, the God who knows how to make birch trees and sequoia trees, and if you're from Texas, mesquite bushes. They didn't go big on trees in Texas. God that knows how to make such diverse birds from the small hummingbird that can hover while sipping through the straw of a snout. And he can make the condor. The God that does all of that formed you carefully and he knows you. There's some stuff in all of our minds that we keep locked up in our mind, refusing it to share with someone else. Unless, unless that person is a trained psychiatrist and bound by ethics and we've paid them 200 bucks to stay silent. But I need you to know this morning, your name might have used to have been Judah for one reason. But this morning, it's Judah for a brand new reason. And we see this throughout Scripture, and we see this throughout our lives today. Some of you might have read a little bit of Shakespeare at one time, but you've probably heard this phrase, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell so sweet. Such a tender line or two. But you know how the story ends up, right? They both die. Wow. Wonderful literature. What's in a name? If you called it something else, it would still smell sweet if you didn't call it a rose. But the problem is, is her friend Romeo has a last name, which is in battle with her family's last name. And so this is part of the Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou the crying from the 
the balcony and your name. It really doesn't matter. I love you. You're both dead meat. We'll just cut to the chase, okay? You've heard of Cliff Notes versions? That's the gym version right there. What's in a name? Rose by name. You're both dead meat, okay? And one paragraph, I can sum up the whole thing. You can want to change it. You can want to believe that society has advanced to the place that old prejudices don't matter anymore. You can advance to the place where you think we can elect the right party or we can get enough smart people at the university or finally the World Health Organization can solve the problems. But I need you to know that at the end of the day, if that's where your hope is, good luck with that one. You can state philosophy all you want at the end of the day, you dead meat. But, but, one day this Jesus came up to Simon and said, Simon, I think I'm going to call you Petros. I'm going to call you Peter. Call you Cephas, his name in two different languages. I'm going to call you Cephas, Why? Because I see rockiness inside of you. I see solid inside of you. Not what my brother thinks. That doesn't matter. I see rock in you. Everybody else thinks I just speak off my mouth too much. Everybody else thinks I overreact before my brain gets in gear. And God says, that's not what I name you. I named you solid as a rock. Aren't you so thankful today that God is not evaluating you based on your mama or your daddy? He's not evaluating you based on what you did in high school or college. Not evaluating you based on what your boss thinks about you or your neighborhood thinks about you. He looks deeper than that. He looks on the inside of you. Now, recently I've been reading the story of David and frankly... I don't think I like him. He likes everybody else's ladies more than his own. I'm not leaving him at the dinner table at Smokey Joe's or wherever it is with Sherry. That's not going to happen. Doesn't matter how many coffees I've had and glasses of waters that are about to propel me to the men's room. I'm going nowhere if David's at the table. You can read through and you can see his astounding sins and it hurts to just read the story of the rape of Bathsheba. It hurts to read the story of all the things that he did. But when God looked at David, he says, inside your stupid decisions, inside your blatant disregard for my ways, there's a heart in there tuned towards me. I need someone in the room that you've known God in your yesterdays, but you're afraid that you've gone too far and God doesn't want you. Oh no, your name is Judah. God sees inside of you a heart that is aimed in the right direction. Oh, Brother Littles, I've had second chances, third chances, and fourth chances, and I've blown them all. David, he's a man after my heart. I have three little girls. Can't imagine what my response would be if somebody did to my little girl what somebody did to David's little girl. I wouldn't have been quiet over that. Hmm. I might have been in prison reflecting on what I did. But since it's a daughter, he doesn't mourn her at all. Absalom's out of town for two years and he grieves and he mourns. Daughter, I don't have a comment about it. But you see, God so loved the daughter of David that her name's in the story. Her name's in the story. In a world where women doesn't matter, God said, I know where she was and she's so valuable to me. I'm going to put her name in the story. Her grief, her sorrow, her shame from her half-brother, it's not going to rob her of my place in the story. 
Judah. Judah's own family gets messed up. He has two sons which turn out wicked, and he overreacts. This is what parents do. A and B make mistakes, so you overreact on number C. Letter C, I think that would be better. You overreact on letter C. So son number three gets overly sheltered because sons one and two and blew it. One day dad's wife, Judah's wife dies, gets over the grieving period, decides to go out with the, those who are harvesting the wool off of the sheep and he turns into a prostitute and from that prostitute comes the lineage of David and come, comes the lineage of Jesus. You and I are blessed today, not because Judah was always right, but that God saw something inside of Judah. And later you can read the stories when there was chaos in the family. Judah finally stepped forward and provided a way forward for the family to be fed because God saw something deeper inside of Judah. I need you to know that what God sees in you is what truly matters. Judah's dad, Jacob, you know what his name meant, right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. How would you like that if your name was worship and your dad's name was liar? One day, Jacob was tired of fighting his own battles so I will not let go of God until I receive a blessing from God. And liar was changed into someone who has authority and power with God. I need someone in this room right now to let faith out of the cage just a little bit and let faith begin to climb up a little bit. And if you're willing to just spend a few minutes in the presence of an almighty God, you can have a transformation at the most basic of levels. Remember the littles, I didn't earn it. I don't come from a good family. Abraham wasn't my daddy. No, but your heavenly father loves you more than you could ever grasp or understand. He loves you more than you could fathom. But doesn't he know my track record? Doesn't he know? Yeah, he knows. He still loves you. Don't know about you right now, but I feel the love of God in the room. I feel the compassion of God in the room. I feel the mercies of God in the room. And that love is reaching out to anybody that will. The love of God is saying, let me change your name. Let me change your story. Oh, you'll remember where you were, but I'll let you have that memory so you can realize how different that is for where I have you today and where I'm taking you tomorrow. Receive God's love right now. Oh, Lord, we receive your mercies. We receive your love. We receive your compassion. We receive your hope. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. He called Nathaniel before he ever saw Nathaniel. Nathaniel was under the fig tree, contemplative kind of person. I can kind of, I kind of been, I think I've been Nathaniel like once or twice in my life sitting under the tree, just contemplating the deeper stuff. Philip comes and gets Nathaniel and says, I think we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth, and Nathaniel says, <coughs> excuse me, do you know what their high school graduation rate is? Nothing good. That, that's the meth capital of Judah. Nothing good comes out of, out of there. But Jesus steps up, says, Nathaniel, I, I saw you when you were under the tree. You must be the Christ. And Jesus says, you think that's powerful? You're going to see angels ascending and descending. And in your heart, there is no deceit. There's that name, Jacob, coming back one more time. But it's saying in you there's no deceit like your great, 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 great grandpappy Jacob. 
There's no deceit in you. And I'm going to show, you've been thinking about some stuff that's been cool. I'm going to show you some stuff that's really cool. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's what you're, you were just a thinker, but I'm going to show you something that you can't even imagine because I have a plan for you. So maybe there's someone in the room that you've never done wrong and you've never violated a protocol in school or in the, you stay one mile under the speed limit just in case your odometer is off. Actually, you put your cell phone up with a GPS speed measuring gizmo app there just to make sure that your speedometer is right because you don't want to break any rules. Or sometimes I meet people who have PhDs in rule keeping because I don't break any rules. I got it all nailed. I've been laughing at all those other morons that don't know how to keep rules. I wish they had as much self-control as me. One day a guy came to Jesus like that. What do I need to do to be saved? Keep the law. <gasps> I mastered that by the time I was 12. Okay, then just one more thing. Sell all your toys and give it to the poor. He went away sorrowfully. He was so good at keeping rules, he thought he was what everyone else should be following. Matter of fact, Jesus, put me on your website, the homepage. Click here if you want to see how it's done. And there my life will be. No failures here. And Jesus said, no, that's all you are is one messed up dude. Because you thought you could make yourself good enough. But if you'll just follow me, I got a plan. And he turned the other way. We are in the house this morning and God is saying one more time, would you just follow me? John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John gives the reason why he wrote the book at the end. Kind of an appendix to the book. He says there were many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But I chose these. I think there's eight of them, only eight signs, only eight miracles in the Gospel of John. I chose these that are written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And secondly, that believing you could have life. You could have life through his name. This morning, I'm here to tell you my name is Judah. Your name can be Judah. Your name can be one who praises even though your yesterdays weren't so good or so nice or memorable or maybe they were a princely-like thing, but now you think of your life as a spare the scriptures that we have in our hands are written for two reasons. And John gives the two of them. Number one, can you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Christ means anointed by God. It means the very power of God was on Christ and in Christ. And Christ came to take away sins of the world. It's not his will that any should perish. Can you believe is anybody in the room today willing to confess with me one more time, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe you're the Christ. We live in a world that's not willing to say that. We live in a world that says there's lots of ways, lots of truths, lots of spiritualities. And I don't want to go anyplace where preachers stand up and say there's only one way. John says, I wrote this book so that you could see, just like John chapter 10, there's only one door. It's only one way. Jesus is the Christ. You see, if you can confess today that Jesus is the Christ, now you're in the position to have your life turned around by Jesus Christ. Because the anointed one came to bring life and to bring it to you more abundantly. When you confess he's the Christ, you're saying, I surrender my life to him.
I don't know what your big hang-up is. I happen to have a PhD in family studies, but I think I have two or three PhDs in worry. I'm a great worrier. If there was an Olympics of worry, gold medalist right here. My mother, uh, I come from a line of several warriors, my mama, precious, but she also had the gift of worry. She told me one day, son, you and I, we worry a lot. Isn't it fantastic that 95% of the stuff we worry about doesn't come to pass? We are so effective at worrying, most of that stuff never happens. That's how good we are at worrying. I am gifted at seeing my days which aren't perfect. Gifted at seeing things that haven't measured up. I'm gifting at seeing things that fall short of the mark. But this morning when I confess Jesus is the Christ, I have to confess every good thing and every perfect thing comes from above. The Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So this morning when I confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I've got to say, and I'm going to stop looking at my trouble, and I'm going to start looking at my blessing. I'm going to start looking at what's wrong, and I'm going to start looking at how good my God has been to me. You see, this day in Everett, Washington, I need to confess Jesus is the Christ. And when I confess Jesus is the Christ, my troubles look smaller and my Jesus looks bigger. My weaknesses get eclipsed by his glory and his wonder. I don't know what your weakness is. I don't know what your struggle is. But if with me you would just say, I believe Jesus is the Christ. Maybe you're going through some kind of turmoil at work. Maybe there's something in your body. Maybe there's a struggle in your family. I want you to know your name is Judah today and you can worship the Christ. All you got to say, I believe Jesus is the Christ. You don't have to know how God's going to fix it. You just got to say, I believe Jesus is the Christ. You don't have to know when God's going to fix it. You just got to say, I believe Jesus is the Christ. The second thing John says, if you could put the verse back up for me. Second thing John says, I want you... I want you to believe so that believing you can have life through his name. Anybody want to live? I mean truly live. Anyone want to stop feeling like you're on a treadmill? Anybody want to feel like there's a purpose? That tomorrow may have a purpose? Monday may have a purpose. When you confess Jesus is the Christ, then you're opening up yourself to really living. Well, Jim, I've never seen Grand Canyon. Never been on another continent. That's not the condition of living. Didn't graduate from high school. I got a GED. When I tell people, they turn up their nose at me. Your education is not the condition for living. Got high blood pressure. Got a pharmacy in my cabinet cause all my health concerns. If God would fix all of that, then I would know God was real. Then I would confess he's the Christ. Then I could really live. I'm here to tell someone this morning you got it backwards. Confess he's the Christ first. You may have to have another chemo treatment this week for your cancer, but you can go to that oncology ward and Let them put that in your port, in your chest. And all the time you can say, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Christ. You could heal me if you chose to do so, but since you haven't, I believe that my name is Judah. And you're going to use this crisis to bring you glory. So I'm just going to say while I'm laying here for a half hour, getting the chemicals pumped into my body, I'm just going to repeat it again. You're the Christ. And I trust you above all else. And if he only gives me three more months to live, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm asking you to stand right now. I need you to know that this Saturday, you can rename it Living Day. 
Because <laughs> today, if we, you, I, if we could just join together and say, I confess he is the Christ, and I will surrender my everything to him. And once I surrender everything to the Christ, now I live. I, right now, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, and I surrender my worry to him. I confess Jesus is the Christ. I surrender my uncertainties to him. I confess Jesus is the Christ. I surrender my doubts. I surrender my unfulfilled dreams. I surrender my hopes that have crashed. I give that all to him because I confess he's the Christ. He's the anointed one of God, and he has come to take away my fear and replace it with hope. Take, come to take away my sorrow and replace it with joy. Come to take away death and give me truly life, life more abundantly. I would like to open this altar to those. Invite you to come. If you're ready to confess, Jesus is the Christ. There's something in you that you've worried and wrestled with all week or all month or in this young year or even last year or the last decade. You've been fighting something. Why don't you just come and stand at this altar and say, I'm going to confess Jesus over this. I bring the basket of my life. My name's Iskar. My name is Dan. Or maybe I'm one of the girls that nobody even put a name on in the Bible. I'm going to bring my nameless condition. I'm going to bring it to Jesus. And I'm going to confess he is Christ over my life. Wonderful. Won't you come? There's no shame up here. <laughs> this is a shame-free zone. Why? Because we're confessing he is the Christ. And he took our shame and he nails it all to the cross. Would you come? Lord Jesus, right now, my brothers and sisters and I, we have strange names. We have yesterdays of pain. We have crazy family yesterday and crazy family today. I got crazy job. I got messed up body. But right now, I confess you're the Christ. You're the Christ over all of this. I will no longer say I am, have no value because I have confessed Jesus is the Christ. I will no longer feel like I am worthless. There's no value in me because I confess Jesus is the Christ. Because if Jesus is the Christ, then he says to you, I want you to live. I want you to live. I want you to have life in my name. Jesus, you're the Christ. I confess my failure to Jesus right now and say, you're the Christ. I confess my fear. I'm afraid to take the next step in Jesus. All I got to do right now is confess he's the Christ. He's going to give me the next step to take. I don't have to know every step of the way. You don't need every answer. You just need this one. Confess Jesus is the Christ. I confess it in my ministry. I confess it in my children. Confess it in my marriage. I confess Jesus is the Christ. Jesus' name I pray. Jesus' name I pray. Jesus' name I pray. Oh, that's the confession you need. You need to confess he's the Christ over all of it. Don't hold anything back. Just confessed. It's been hard to have the name that I've had. It's been hard to live with the stuff I've had to live with. But I confess Jesus is the Christ right now. I confess. I confess. I surrender it all when I confess Jesus. I give it all when I confess Jesus. I surrender my thoughts to him when I confess Jesus. My emotions are his when I confess Jesus. 
My behaviors are his when I confess Jesus. I confess Jesus is the Christ. Beautiful. 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 This house is filled with Christ's confession right now. This house is filled with confession of the Christ. He reigns. I think we're ready for part two. Part two says, now it's time to live. And like Ezekiel called for the wind from the north and the south, east and the west to breathe on these bones so that they could live. Right now you have confessed Jesus is the Christ. I call on the breath of Pentecost. I call on the wind of Pentecost to breathe in this house. That there is life here. There is life in the name of Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit right now. Receive ye the Holy Spirit right now. Receive life right now. Receive spiritual gift right now. Receive spiritual healing right now. Receive hope for tomorrow right now. Receive liberty right now. Receive life in the name of Jesus. Alive, sister. Live. Live. That's it. Jesus says, live. <laughs> Your name's Judah. Praise him and live. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. In the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.